Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jim Lang. Uh, he is a CPA. He's also an attorney. Uh, he specializes in retirement and tax planning. And he's just come out with a new book called Retire Secure for Same-Sex Couples. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, James. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Just tell a little bit about your background, uh, both as a CPA and as a lawyer, and the areas that you specialize in. Well, my real background is I'm an IRA guy. <clears throat> you know, like you, you might have, some of your listeners might have heard of Ed Slott and Natalie Schott and Bob Keebler. I'm not, not as well known as those people, but that, that has been my area of emphasis of knowing and really understanding IRAs. In recent years, I have added social security expertise to that. Um, my actual business is um, doing that type of conceptual work and adding low-cost indexing on top of that. But if you're an IRA guy and a social security guy and you are following or have followed the developments in the law for same-sex couples, it was kind of like a eureka. Um, all of a sudden, it made so much sense to use certain strategies for same-sex couples that I was really compelled to write Retire Secure for Same-Sex Couples because I would maintain that the big differences um, between couples taking appropriate action and not taking appropriate action are usually in the area of IRAs and retirement plans and for planning for Social Security. So uh, what, what is the general state of financial uh, advice, I guess you might say, for same-sex couples? Are they getting good advice or are they making more mistakes than uh, you know, opposite-sex couples uh, in, in making these kind of IRA and uh, retirement planning decisions? Well, first, to be fair to many of the advisors advising same-sex couples, this is all pretty new territory, um, really. I, uh, ten years ago, this wasn't even on anybody's r radar, really, and just recently has it really picked up initiative, um, and particularly in my home state of Pennsylvania, which just uh, legalized same-sex marriage. Um, so, to be fair, a lot of advisors have no never really thought about these issues, um, and then the ones that do, in some of the articles I've read, it talks about the difference in income taxes, which I'm not going to belittle, it certainly is, or the differences in areas like inheritance taxes, again, certainly relevant. But I haven't seen anybody other than myself talk about the enormous difference between getting married and taking the appropriate steps regarding Social Security, if for listeners of that age group, and for leaving IRAs and retirement plans, and not necessarily the estate or inheritance tax, but the income tax implications are just so much more favorable for married couples. And now that same-sex couples can get married, it really presents a compelling case for being smart about your finances. Just so we're clear, are there any differences in a same-sex marriage and a traditional heterosexual marriage as far as legal rights, or is it absolutely completely the same in every way? Well, that's going to depend on what state you live in. Um, 
So, for example, uh, most states, in fact, actually, I believe 33 states, uh, do not recognize same-sex marriage. Now, what happened with, there was a case called Windsor that basically said that it wasn't fair for residents of states who do recognize same-sex marriage, if you got married in a state that did, so let's say New York, New York State or Washington, D.C., um, that if you got married there and then you went to live somewhere else, for purposes of estate planning, you were going to be considered married for federal estate tax purposes regardless of where you live. So that was a, that was a big case, and that, that opened up the floodgates, if you will. So that's at the and federal the, level, but state might be different. So if you're living in a state that does not recognize it, one of the 33 states, then you might not be recognized at the state state planning level, but you would be at the federal. Well, here that that that's where it gets a little tricky. So, basically, what this case said was, no matter where you live, for federal estate tax purposes, we're going to consider you married if you are legally married in a state that recognizes same-sex marriage. So, let's say you were you were a, a couple living in Pennsylvania. You ran to New York. You got married, you came back to Pennsylvania, and one of you died with a taxable estate, which is now over $5 million, and you left it to your spouse or your partner. Um, that case said, we don't care what Pennsylvania says, as long as you are married in a state that recognizes same-sex marriage, we are going to allow the unlimited marital deduction that any spouse would have. So, now, that was a very limited ruling. It just was really about federal estate tax. And since most of us don't have $5.3 million, it wasn't really a huge game changer other than what was to follow. So, basically, there, they use what's called the state of celebration. In other words, the law of the state where you got married, not the law of residence. And I don't want to sound like a scholarly lawyer, but... but it, 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 it makes was a difference. Important. It definitely makes a difference. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then, yeah. but but frankly, when that happened, I didn't get all that excited because it didn't have huge practical implications. Um, because most people don't have five point three million dollars. Then what happened? There was a revenue ruling. Revenue ruling two thousand thirteen seventeen, and that said, for income tax purposes, if you are married in a state that recognizes same-sex marriage, like New York or Washington, D.C., regardless of where you live, you will, be rec you will be recognized as married for federal income tax purposes. And that's when I really got excited because I thought, wow, let's say that you have a big IRA and you're a, pencil and you're a resident in one of the, at the time, I guess it was 30 four states that didn't recognize same-sex marriage. You could go to New York, get married, come back to the state where you live, and then if one of you die, you get all the income tax advantages that other married couples would get, regardless of where you live. So that's when I got really excited because I thought, boy, for a lot of people, the right strategy um, is to go to a state that does recognize same-sex marriage, 
get married there, come back to the state where you're living, and then be afforded all the protection of federal income tax savings. Um, by the way, sometimes it can be worse, but for the big issues, which is um, what happens to an IRA at death, it is much, much more favorable to be married. That's when I got excited. I wrote an article, and then that article, um, we, we added Social Security into the mix, which is a different discussion, and that became the, the basis for the book. So that's true on the federal level, but at the state income tax level, if you're in a, one of the 33 states that does not recognize it, you would not have the advantages at the state level, but you would have it at the federal level. Is that correct? That, that's, that's correct. So right now, if you're in one of those states, you actually have to file two different tax returns, not only uh, where you're filing jointly. In fact, you're required to file jointly um, at the federal level unless you do married filing separately, which is usually disadvantageous. And then at the state level, they w won't recognize your marriage, so you have to file as two individuals um, which is what the way Pennsylvania was up until literally this year. So, so that's that, changed. That, so when when a state does legalize it, then uh, the thirteen states uh, or seventeen states, I said you said, then uh, the state tax and the federal tax would be, kind of work together. Is that right? That's that's correct. So for example, in my home state of Pennsylvania, last tax season, our CPA firm was preparing when we had a same-sex couple that was married in a state that did recognize same-sex cup marriage, we would do a, a joint federal and separate Pennsylvania. Uh, this, this coming tax season, we will do both joint federal and joint Pennsylvania, and there's some significant advantages to the residents of states that live um, in states that have recognized same-sex marriages um, not only for state income tax purposes, but also, and again, it's a whole separate discussion, um, but there are enormous social security advantages. Yes, we're going to get into that, indeed. Just briefly tell us uh, the Defense of Marriage Act, the DOMA Act, uh, what that happened. As I remember, there was a recent Supreme Court case which challenged it. Can you tell me the status of where that stands? Well, th that was, th this case, it's, it's Windsor, Windsor versus U.S., and what Windsor said was the Defense of Marriage Act, which basically said that a marriage constituted um, a union of a man and a woman, um, what Windsor said was that was unconstitutional as it applies to federal estate taxes. So it did not completely strike down DOMA, um, it, but it did a good slashing of it. And uh, depending on your viewpoint, um, was hopefully the beginning of the end for DOMA. Okay. So it, it, it was a very important case, not so much for the limited number of people that it affected, which is people who have more than $5.3 million, but it was very significant because it was the first Supreme Court case that really took a slash out of the DOMA law. And I think we're going to see more and more uh, whittling away of the DOMA law. And a lot of people think one day the whole thing is going to be in front of the Supreme Court and they're just going to knock down the whole thing, which would mean that um, there is no federal prohibition 
against same-sex marriage. Which there is today, no. Yeah, yeah there's, there still is today. Um, yes. now, so the states, it, states overrule it? The 17 states can overrule the federal law as far as uh, allowing same-sex marriage? Well, yeah. Now, the, in the, the, so for federal law, their DOMA basically said for state tax purposes, you're okay. Federal didn't say that you couldn't get married. All right? So people who were before, in fact, the, the case, Windsor, was actually um, two women who did have a federal estate tax issue when one died, and their marriage was legally recognized, and they objected to, the survivor objected to paying a state tax and said, hey, where I live, my marriage is recognized, federal should not overrule it. And then she eventually won that. So um, right now, if you are living in a state that doesn't recognize same-sex marriage, um, you're, you're out of luck in terms of your ability to have your state recognize your marriage. And that could have enormous consequences, both at the state level and for non-federal issues. And we'll get into the Social Security issue, but that's, that's a very big one. Very good. We're going to get into this in more detail. Uh, my guest this, half, this hour is Jim Lang. Uh, he's both a CPA and an attorney. Um, and he has uh, just come out with a new book called Retire Secure for Same-Sex Couples. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. If you want to know about investing in emerging and frontier markets, or if you have experience in this field but still need to know more, tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham. Gavin explores news, current trends, and insights about both categories of investing. His guest experts, along with his own knowledge, will help you stay above the line when it comes to growth potential, whether in funds or equities. He will look at what to invest in and avoid. Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Houston Real Estate Radio with Shannon Register. Tuesdays at 10 Eastern, 1 Pacific on Voice America's Variety Channel. As we have transitioned into a healthier housing market, supply has not been able to keep up with demand. Appraisals have struggled to keep up with rising prices, and lenders have overcorrected their loose lending practices. We track all this and more so you don't have to. HoustonRealEstateRadio.com we're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. 
My guest this hour is Jim Lang. He's a CPA and attorney uh, based in Pittsburgh. Uh, he has just come out with a new book called Retire Secure for Same-Sex Couples. He also has a website that can help people, which is outestateplanning.com. Welcome back to the show, Jim. Thank you again, Jordan. So another area that people should be thinking about is optimizing IRAs and other kinds of retirement plans. Before we get into some of the details, what are some of the problems that are unique to same-sex couples compared to traditional couples? I think the unique problem that unmarried same-sex couples have, which, by the way, could be extended to unmarried opposite-sex couples, is there's an enormous income tax burden on the death of an IRA owner or retirement plan owner leaving their IRA or retirement plan to their partner as opposed to um, very favorable income tax treatment of leaving an IRA or retirement plan to a spouse. I'm happy to go into as much detail as you like about that. So tell me a little bit, what, what is the tax difference between the two, between having them being married to them, just have them as a partner? Okay, so let's say for discussion's sake that you are, um, that you and your partner are, in a way it doesn't matter, but let's just say you're in your 60s and, um, or, or later, and then one of you dies and leaves the IRA or retirement plan to the other. Then what would happen if you are married, whether you're, whether, as long as you're married in a state that legally recognizes same-sex marriages, as long as you are legally married, what the surviving spouse can do is to do what's called an IRA rollover or a trustee-to-trustee transfer and take that IRA and then treat it as if they, they were, as if it was their own. So let's say for discussion's sake that you inherit an IRA from your spouse at age 60, then you would roll that into your own IRA and you could treat that just as if it was your own IRA, meaning you wouldn't have to take any money out until you were age 70. The money continues to grow, income tax deferred, and um, there would be no federal estate tax on it, and depending on the state that you live in, probably no income tax impact on that either. So basically, it's a pretty favorable way to pass money that is an IRA or a retirement plan to a surviving spouse. Now, take that exact same situation, but instead of leaving it to a spouse, you leave it to your partner. Now, your partner is not entitled to roll that into their IRA. Uh, the existing law would say that they have to start taking some distributions, known as the minimum required distribution of the inherited IRA, immediately the year after death, and with legislation that we fear is going to pass, they're going to have to pay income tax on the entire IRA within five years. So this you could mean be, the, the capital and the, the growth, or yes, whatever they're, yes. they're withdrawing from it. You're saying, yeah. So so potentially the law that we expect to pass for leaving a non-spouse an IRA. So let's say you have a million dollar IRA, you leave it to your non-spouse. Let's simplify and say taxes are at forty percent. Um, your spouse within, or I'm sorry, your partner within five years of your death, assuming this law does take effect, will have to shell out four hundred thousand dollars in taxes. 
if, on the other hand, they are married and they are not yet 70 and not yet taking minimum required distributions, there won't be any immediate income taxes. This is a federal law you're talking about or a state law? No, this is federal. This is federal. And here it doesn't matter what the state says. See, that's, that's, that's what's so exciting. And that's why, well, this program is national, so you're going to have residents in both states that do and don't recognize same-sex marriage. But for people particularly who are have significant IRAs or their IRAs will be an important financial component of the survivor if the one with the IRA or retirement plan dies, um, it might be very prudent to go to one of the states that does recognize same-sex marriage, get married, return back to where you live, and then if you die with your significant IRA, your spouse or previously partner will have a much, much rosier financial future because they won't have this enormous income tax hit that will either come assuming this law that we think is going to come, or even if it doesn't come, it will be a more gradual but much more significant income tax hit than if you had got married. So what is the status of that legislation? Is it something that President Obama would sign? Well, again, this is a federal basically said, hey, as long as you're married in a state where marriage is recognized, we're going to recognize it, and we don't care what your state says. So this has nothing to do with Obama. This is going to be a state-by-state case, unless the whole thing is thrown out. But, um, and I don't think, certainly Obama, um, I I don't even know if Congress has that power, that's probably more of a Supreme Court issue. But right now, um, the, the, if, if you will, the, whether you want to call it a war on marriage or defensive marriage, um, is still on a state-by-state basis. And guys like Evan Wolfson, who, are, who is the president and founder of um, um, what is it? Um, Freedom to Marry, uh, he's working really on a state-by-state basis. So some states might pass it and some states not. not. So it would be a patchwork going state-by-state as to what would happen in this case, is what you're saying. Yes, like it is now, but hopefully the patchwork will become more and more states that do recognize same-sex marriage. Yes. Okay. Now, are Roth IRA rules different than regular traditional IRAs? Well, Roth IRA rules are different, but in terms of the treatment for married versus unmarried, they're they're the same as well. I, I that's not a hundred percent accurate. Want to go into the details a little bit? Okay. With a Roth with a Roth IRA, what happens is you don't have to pay income taxes on the earnings, and in addition, there is no minimum required distribution for both the Roth owner and if the Roth owner leaves their Roth IRA to a spouse. So let's say for discussion's sake you have $100,000 in a Roth IRA and uh, you don't die, there's no minimum required distribution, that $100,000 can keep growing income tax-free for as long as you live. Then let's say you die and you leave it to your spouse. Your spouse will also have no minimum required distribution and that money will continue growing tax-free for as long as your spouse lives with no minimum distribution. But 
if you are not married, then what happens is just like with a traditional IRA, your spouse will, or I'm sorry, your partner will be required to take distributions from the Roth IRA. Um, right now, President Obama is actually pushing a bill that would force a non-spouse to take the entire Roth IRA within five years, which we think is eventually going to pass. But if you're married, you can ha- continue no minimum required distributions for the Roth. So again, the difference... A big, big tax bill for people, yes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the difference can easily be hundreds of thousands of dollars over time. And in addition so, to IRAs, how about other pension plans, uh, defined benefit pension plans or 457s yeah, or other kinds of plans? Are they all the same kind of thing uh, yeah, we're talking yeah, about they're, here? They're, they're all the same kind of thing. Um, so whether it's a 401k or a 403b or a 457 or a CAP, SEP or a KEO or basically kind of an IRA equivalent, if you will. All these plans are more or less taxed like, a, like an IRA, even though some have their own little quirks. But that basic rule about um, tax-deferred tax or tax-free for spouses and taxable or uh, forced distributions um, for non-spouses. So it really makes a, a huge difference. And a lot of times what happens is people sometimes think that, you know, financial planning is for the very wealthy. But I would argue particularly if you add the issue of Social Security, which I assume we'll be getting into, yes. um, this can make an enormous difference, not for somebody who has a million dollars, but for somebody who has a quarter million or a half a million um, or even one or two hundred thousand dollars because uh, sometimes the differences in amount might not be as extreme, but the difference between, you know, let's say uh, $25,000 a year difference if all you have is a quarter million dollars is a huge amount. Um, so in a way, some of this information is even more important than it would be to people with a lot of wealth who would enjoy an even bigger difference. Uh, when you're doing a, a def- defined benefit uh, contribution, basically an annuity, when you're annuitizing it, and you do a uh, joint and survivor uh, choice, uh, can you do that if you're not married uh, to somebody, or can you only, only do that to a spouse? Well, that's, that's actually, I believe that that is not an ERISA question. I believe that that is a uh, rule within the the contract itself, whether whether they will allow you to annuitize over two lives or whether they will, um, wh- whether that person is a spouse or not a spouse. I mean, so, it's, it's, you know, say, say that they do allow, that they give you a choice when you take your pension to either take it, you know, for yourself or a joint and survivor. Uh, if you take the joint and survivor, which would normally be a man and his wife or something like that, uh, if, if you are not married, uh, is, does that apply to your partner, or you have to be married for that to work? Well, no, I, I, don't, I don't see why that... Oh, um, I think you stumped me. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I don't want to say anything and be wrong. Um, I, I, I don't think that that would be off the top of my head. I don't think that that would be a federal issue. I think that that would be a, a law of, of the... Uh, or a contract... 
I don't see... Um, but in, in a state, if you were married in a state that allows same-sex marriages, you're saying you, you should be able to do a joint and survivor pension as, as long as you've been legally married. Oh, yes. Yes. And I'm thinking maybe you can even if you live in a state that doesn't. Huh? Okay. Well, something to research. See, see, so. see here, I think it's going to be the contract that controls. Yes. I don't think... Okay. I don't th now, the state might have a say on the taxation um, at the state level, but I don't think... A state law is going to determine whether you can take a joint and, or what I would typically call a two-life survivor benefit as opposed to a one. Yes. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jim Lang. He's a CPA and attorney. Um, he's an expert on all these issues. His new book is called Retire Secure for Same-Sex Couples. He has a website to help people in this area, which is outestateplanning.com. We'll be back after this. Um, give me... Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jim Lang. He's a CPA and attorney based in Pittsburgh. Uh, he's an uh, expert on retirement kinds of issues. He just came out with a book called Retire Secure for Same-Sex Couples. He has a website you can find out more about this, which is outestateplanning.com. Welcome back to the show, Jim. Thank you again, Jordan. So let's go to the complicated topic of Social Security benefits and what are some of the unique challenges with Social Security and same-sex couples. Well, this, this, is, this is one of my favorite topics, and one of the reasons is is it can literally be the difference between being broke and having more than a million dollars just in the social security strategies before why don't we spend one minute on background though before we get into the marriage okay. issues sure. in general 
I'm, I'm going to make this part fast. In general, let's say you have a choice of taking Social Security at 62 or 66 or 70. Let's forget about marriage issues. If you take it at 62, you only get 75% of what you would get if you waited until 66. And if you wait an additional four years after 66, you get an extra 8% for every year you wait. So basically, if you started at 62, and let's just say you were to compare apples to apples saving that money, you would, in effect, break even, if you will, up at age 81, depending on what assumptions you use. Now, some people might say, well, gee, I want to get the money now. I don't know what's going to happen to the government, blah, 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 and they want to take it early. Um, what, what I usually counsel, depending on your life expectancy, is, well, you might live a long time, and that additional money that could be enormous um, would be much better if you had a higher income that was guaranteed for the rest of your life. And for financial purposes, you don't, you'll excuse me for saying this, but for financial purposes, you don't fear an early death because if you die, you're dead. You don't have any more financial problems. What you fear is living a long time and running out of money. So the safe play, if you will, in general, is it's better to wait, build your Social Security over time, get the highest benefit, and then collect the full benefit at 70. But that's just for the single part. All right, so that, that let's say, leads us to the uh, married part, which is right. what I assume that you want to get to. Correct. All right, so let's say that you're single. Basically, a couple things. One, your benefit is your benefit, and... It doesn't, other than a divorce, and let's leave that out for the moment, um, what you get doesn't have any impact on what your partner gets, either while you're both alive or if you die. So let's say, for discussion's sake, that your benefit is $3,000 a month and you are not married, um, and your partner's benefit is $500 a month, and you die, then your partner would not get any of your three thousand a month. He would ha- he or she would have to live the rest of their life with this five hundred dollar a month social security. If, on the other hand, you did get married, what happens? And it's subject to exceptions depending on when you take social security. But the big picture is, if you get married and you die, the survivor collects the higher of the two benefits. So in the example where one partner or spouse had a $3,000 benefit per month and the other one had a $50 benefit and the, um, or a $500 benefit and the one with the higher benefit died first, if they were married, the survivor could then take over on the record of the Social Security recipient who just one. died. Yes. So think about that. Let's say you're both 66 years old or something like that. One of you dies, and so there's a $2,500 difference. And let's say the survivor lives 20 or 30 years. Again, that can be the difference between being broke and being fine. Yeah. So uh, now since uh, we have the DOMA Act federally, 
and some states allow it, some states don't, the 17 that do, how does that factor in Social Security? Does Social Security not care about what's happening at the state level? Well, unfortunately, Social Security cares a lot about what's happening at the state level. So this is where we have a dichotomy between the treatment of income taxes and Social Security. So let's say that you're living in a state that does not recognize same-sex marriage. Yes, it is true that if your partner dies, um, or let's say your spouse, let's say you went to New York or Washington or somewhere, you got married, you came back, your, your partner and spouse dies, yes, you will get the favorable income tax treatment that we were talking a little bit about earlier, but for purposes of Social Security, at least as of right now, although we're certainly hoping that's going to change, at least many of us are, um, you will not be able to get a spousal benefit. So Social Security actually recognizes the state of residence and if you aren't considered legally married in the state where you live, then you're not considered legally married for the purposes of collecting Social Security. So the only states that you can collect Social Security for your spouse are those, the 17 states where same-sex marriage is, is recognized. Is that correct? That's, that, that's correct. And, and one of the reasons I was so jubilant um, when my home state of Pennsylvania um, just recognized same-sex marriages is because now my same-sex married clients can get all the benefits of the spousal benefits for Social Security. Now, we just talked about the dying part. We didn't talk about the living part yet. But the dying part is, they're both actually very important, but particularly um, for somebody who is interested in preserving a lifestyle for the surviving spouse or surviving partner, getting the highest Social Security benefit for the rest of their life can be enormous. And it often makes sense to get married if for no other reason other than the spousal benefits for Social Security. And the other thing that's interesting, um, we have a number of clients who you know, let's say people in their 60s and 70s now, it wasn't too cool to be um, a gay couple, you know, let's say when, when they were in their 20s and 30s. So many of them did get married to an opposite-sex partner, had children, feel obligated and want to leave their money to their children, but one way they can do that and not, and not hurt their kids' inheritance at all is if they marry their partner, they can, in effect, leave their Social Security or their Social Security benefit to their partner, which, again, could be the difference between being broke and being fine. So, so in doing all these things, you, you have to have, are there certain documents you need to have to, to allow this to work? Uh, you have to show a marriage certificate to the Social Security Administration, or what kind of documents do you need to implement these things? Well, you, you, I, I think it's a little bit like a federal... Um, tax return where they're not going to necessarily, I think they're going to start on the basis that if you say you're married, they're going to believe you. And if there's a reason to challenge the marriage, um, then that's a possibility. But it's not like you have to you know, send in a, a marriage certificate when you apply for Social Security. Yeah. You know, presumably what would have happened is your marriage would 
would be recognized, and again, since this is a state issue, um, in the state where you live, so presumably there would be a record of your marriage application and then um, notice of being married, and um, but there, there's no special proof that you have to show that you are, that you are married. Okay. Let's briefly go into the, uh, to compl- the, uh, uh, the uh, whole area of trusts um, wait, and wait, setting up wait. trusts. I'm, I'm happy to do that, but we didn't talk about one thing that I'd, I'd hate to miss, okay. which, it, which is the benefits of being married for the purposes of Social Security before you both die. While you're living. Okay. While you're living. Mm-hmm. So there are something called spousal benefits. So let's say that you and I, Jordan, are married, and you're a big shot radio guy, and you make a ton of money, and you've been making that for a long time. And you have a very high Social Security record, and I have a very low Social Security record, and let's say we're both 66. What we can do is you can do something called apply and suspend, and that's where you apply for Social Security. That is, you, the higher um, wage earner that has a bigger and longer uh, earnings record for the purposes of Social Security, you apply for Social Security, but then you don't collect it. So it's called apply and suspend. What's the difference between that and doing nothing? Well, if I am your spouse, I am then entitled to half of the benefit that you would have received when you were 66. Mm-hmm. So let's just say for discussion's sake you were entitled to 30000 a year. That means for four years I can collect $15,000 until we're both 70. Then here's the really cool part. When you're 70, you collect your full benefit, including the 8% raises that you get every year between 66 and 70. In other words, the fact that I collected money on your benefit doesn't help hurt you at all. Yeah. In addition, my own benefit, not not the spousal benefit, but my own benefit continues to grow. So we could first there's a quick, you know, four four years of fifteen thousand, that's sixty thousand dollars, plus your amount is going to be higher for the rest of your life, and if you die, your spouse will get the higher record for the rest of his or her life. So there are enormous benefits. That would o- even, only be true in the, in the 17 states that recognize uh, same-sex marriage. Is that right? That is correct as of right now. Now, there are some Social Security is saying, hey, if you think you're entitled to a spousal benefit, why don't you apply for it now? And then, then if it's granted, we might give it back to you retroactively. Um, I think you have to be pretty careful about that, but but as of right now, you're you are correct. It only applies in the 14 states that do recognize same-sex marriages. It, that's not a determination that could be made by Social Security Administration. That's done by state law, right? That's correct. That's correct. So if you're in Pennsylvania, um, before your marriage wasn't recognized, no matter where you got married. Now, if you were married in one of the 14 states that do, your marriage is recognized. Okay, good. We're going to take another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Jim Lang. He's a CPA and attorney uh, based in Pittsburgh. Uh, He's just come out with a new book called Retire Secure for Same-Sex Couples. You can find out more about it at his website, outestateplanning.com. We'll be back after this. 
From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Houston Real Estate Radio with Shannon Register. Tuesdays at 10 Eastern, 1 Pacific on Voice America's Variety Channel. As we have transitioned into a healthier housing market, supply has not been able to keep up with demand. Appraisals have struggled to keep up with rising prices, and lenders have overcorrected their loose lending practices. We track all this and more so you don't have to. HoustonRealEstateRadio.com Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Jim Lang, CPA and attorney based in Pittsburgh. Uh, He has come out with a new book called Retire Secure for Same-Sex Couples. He has a website, outestateplanning.com, to find out more about this. Welcome back to the show, Jim. Thank you again, Jordan. We want to talk about trusts, and what are some of the special things that people need to know about setting up trusts for same-sex couples? Well, the, the big deal with, with trusts and same-sex couples, if you had a traditional family unit, you know, let's call it the Leave it to Beaver family, original husband, original wife, and kids from that same marriage, then estate planning becomes a lot easier. And at least as a starting point, you can do what I call I love you wills. I leave everything to you, my husband. I leave everything to you, my wife. At the second death, it goes to our children who we have had together. Um, that will probably become more and more popular for same-sex couples as more and more same-sex couples are getting married and either through adoption or in vitro or in some way having children together. But at least right now for, let's say, um, people in their 50s, 60s, and 70s who are same-sex couples, it is very unlikely that they have children together. So let's say that you have Let's even say that you don't have the situation that I mentioned earlier where you were, where you were part of a, a traditional marriage with children. Let's say you, you never had children, or, or even let's say you did. And so you obviously want to provide for your children, or let's say you never had children, but you, all, you were always close with your nieces and nephews and maybe brothers and sisters, and you have some ideas about the way you would like to leave your money when you're gone. Um, 
The problem, if you are in a same-sex relationship and you try to do what I was talking about, that is leave everything to your spouse, um, and then, ha- then at your spouse's death it goes back to your family, you have to really trust your spouse because the problem with that, so let's say you have two same-sex um, members of a, of a couple and they each have their own nieces and nephews. If you just die and you leave everything to your, to your partner or your spouse, and then your spouse leaves everything to his or her nieces and nephews, then your nieces and nephews don't get anything, or your children don't get anything. So what I used to do, um, and I actually set up a website as far back as 2002, is I proposed a trust where I said, okay, here's what's going to happen. At the first death, the money will, instead of going to the surviving partner outright, it will go into a trust where the surviving partner gets the income from that money, and then at that surviving partner's death, it will go back to nieces and nephews. And sometimes that's appropriate, but what I found um, is that that's not what people wanted. People wanted to be sure that their surviving spouse was provided for. Mm-hmm. And that the trust that I'd, I'd mentioned, that is the classic answer. So if you read books... So I care more about their their spouse than their nieces and nephews, basically, is what it comes yeah, down to. Yeah, that, that, that's really what it comes down to. Now, if you read books like Estate Planning for the Modern Families, who probably, now that, that's by uh, Steve Leinberg and Paul Hood. Now, those guys are kind of towing the standard line, and they would still do those types of trusts. And what I proposed in this book, which is by far a minority viewpoint, and you could only do it, if there is extreme trust. But one of the things I proposed was, what if you leave it to your spouse, not in a trust, because a trust has all kinds of problems. It has higher taxes. It has more legal. It, it has higher carrying costs. You have to do an extra tax return. You have to do K-1s for the income beneficiary and the end beneficiary. It's, it's a mess, and particularly if there isn't that much money, it's a lot of accounting and a lot of legal for basically a mediocre result. But let's just say for discussion's sake that you really trusted your partner or your spouse. You know, you really trusted them. You really thought that they were going to do the right thing. What I have taken the liberty of suggesting is that you, in your will, you leave everything to your partner or your spouse, and you request that they take all the money that they inherited and keep that separate than their, from their other money. So then the nieces so, and nephews might get some of it that way. Right. And then what would happen is you could, you could request, and if you like, you can do it either with an oral contract or even a written contract, that the surviving partner or spouse is required to leave it to the nieces and nephews or even children of the first to die. So you're doing that in the will then, not in the trust is what you're saying. Yeah, that's right. So, so this is actually a way of getting away from the trust. The trust is the classic answer. So if you go to the classic estate attorneys, they're going to do a trust. Um, I had a little um, wrinkle on the trust. So I was doing something called a total return trust. But I found that that's not what people wanted. Okay. People want to provide for their spouse. 
I think we got some good way, on trust. I, I do want to get a chance to get to health insurance a little bit since we're running out of time. So you, right. people should get the book to get into more detail about this. This is great stuff. But let's just talk briefly about health insurance. Well, health uh, insurance is something that you have to be careful about because under Obamacare, let's say you have two, uh, two people of unequal earnings ability and unequal uh, income. The Right now, if they are single... They actually might be able to get the the one who who isn't earning a lot of money might be able to get very cheap health insurance. Where if they got married, the income of the high earner would actually hurt the insurance premium for the person with the low earnings. So that can actually be a disadvantage of getting married. And you know, just like in medicine, first do no harm. So we actually have one couple, and their plan is to not get married until Medicare kicks in, and then when Medicare kicks in, then they're going to get married. And it might work out great, assuming that they both survive till then. Does it, does it depend by state as well, uh, different health insurance uh, situations in different states as to whether it's advantageous to do it or not? No, no, I think this is a federal issue because, you know, the Affordable Health Care Act, better known as Obamacare, is, is a federal law. And um, how about in states where same-sex marriage is not uh, recognized? What happens with health insurance there, where you have a partner? Um, well, it, it doesn't matter. It's all. It's it's still going to be for federal income tax purposes. They actually use um, the federal income tax return as the determining factor for income. So, what state you're in doesn't matter at all. Uh-huh. But I mean, as far as employers, uh, if say, say one partner is employed at a company that offers health insurance, and then the other person is not employed or employed minimally, can you put that person on your health insurance plan uh, if you're not married in a, well, or, or in, well, a, in a state that has, does not recognize it? Well, that's, that's going to be up, up to the, the... That's going to be found in the rules of the health insurance contract. So let's say that you work for a progressive company that offers um, health benefits not just for traditional married so. folks, De- but depends for on the company and the health insurance plan, not the state. You're, you're yes, that's okay. co- that's correct. We have about a minute to go, so just kind of give us an overall here. If you were to sum up the difference between taking your advice in this book and not taking advice, what would be the financial difference uh, f- to a couple? Well, depending on the assumptions you, you make, it can easily be the difference between being broke and having one or two million dollars. So there are enormous advantages. We didn't talk about Roth IRA conversions, but that should be thrown into the mix of, of getting married, taking the appropriate Social Security steps, doing Roth conversions, which we didn't talk about, and planning for your IRA and your retirement plan and maximizing what you and your partner or spouse will get both while you're both alive and after one of you are gone and then after both of you are gone. So clearly there are a lot of complexities that most people haven't even thought about probably and we'll have to be dealing with and it's a changing landscape both legally and each state and even by company. There's a lot to think about here. So you've been very helpful. Uh, my guest this hour has been Jim Lang. He's a CPA and attorney in Pittsburgh. Uh, His new book is called Retire Secure for Same-Sex Couples. Uh, You can find out more about it at his website, outestateplanning.com. Thanks so much for being on the show. You've helped a lot of people, Jim. Thank you again, Jordan. And we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now.
Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.